600 men who still needed wives abducted girls from Shiloh as they danced at an annual festival. This story is arguably the most poignant example of what happens when God's people abandon the notion of moral absolutes to do what seems right in their own eyes. This story is seldom read in church. Its literal sense is clear, as it shows that life without a king, life without law and order and structure, life without God leads to disaster. For many interpreters throughout history, the plain sense of this story was too revolting to talk about. 19th century free thought writer Annie Besant, who spent her life arguing against traditional moral absolutes, simply acknowledges the sordid nature of the story, describing it as horribly disgusting tale of the Levite and his concubine. Anglican commentator Mary Cornwallis, however, engages the horror of the story and, and voices her strong disapproval of the actions of the men in the story. She says they should have defended the life and honor of the woman to the last instead of making such a horrid compromise with monsters of wickedness. Cornwallis agrees with the conclusions of 17th century Archbishop Usher, who placed blame for the many horrid things and unpunished offenses committed by every tribe, every city, and nay, every private man, on the want or lack of supreme authority. He suggests that the lesson of the Book of Judges is that we should be thankful for the authority which is set over us to preserve us from the consequences of relativism. 19th century evangelical social activist Josephine Butler goes further, however, to find in the story of the darkest scene of the rape of the concubine, God's message for those in authority her message is those in authority can also be blinded by relativism. Butler fuses the horizons of the original story and the present and reads the story of the Levite's concubine as a story about women who are trafficked and those who either victimize them or ignore them. She feels called by God to challenge the moral relativism in Victorian culture and society and with courage and conviction Butler declares, there is a weak and prostrate figure lying at our door. To this door, she turns for help. Butler reads the story within the larger canonical context, using such intertexts as Luke's story of Jesus being anointed by an immoral woman of the city who perfumed and kissed his feet and then experienced Jesus' forgiveness. She also uses Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door, as an important intertext of her reading. Butler answers the question, to, the, to the question, where is God in the midst of this horrible story? Butler says, Jesus is there at the door with the concubine. Not surprisingly, Butler concludes her sermon with a call to her audience to extend their love to fallen women to outcasts, to sinners, as they too have been made in God's image. Her experience of working with prostitutes had shown her that most prostitutes were themselves
themselves victims. She de-emphasized the depravity of the prostitutes and pointed to the culpability of those in power who did what was right in their own eyes by valuing prostitutes as less than fully human and unworthy of love and acceptance and even redemption. Josephine Butler felt called to challenge Christians and society in general who had adopted the philosophy of letting everyone collected everyone do what was right in their own eyes. Her voice made a difference, and so can ours. In his book, The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society, Leslie Newbegin states that, quote, relativism, which is not willing to speak about truth, but only about what is true for me, is an evasion of the serious business of living. It is the mark of a tragic loss of nerve in our 